The following audio is from Maranatha Chapel, located in San Diego, California. For more information about Maranatha Chapel, please visit www.maranathachapel.org. So if you have your Bibles, uh, open them up to Psalm 118. Psalm 118. And we're going to keep things going in this series. Uh, And it was just so good. I know Daniel said a few weeks ago, maybe it was last week, just sitting in the psalm, I forget which one he was in, but just being bashed in God's love and uh, his attention in, in looking at some of these psalms. And for this one tonight, uh, I've just been ready for victory because tonight's is titled A Mentality of Victory. And, uh, and so I was going around the house like Rocky Balboa this week, just pumped up. And so uh, for tonight, a title of A Mentality of victory, uh, with kind of the, the, just the idea being we want to fully comprehend, understand, take to heart the victory that Christ has for us, uh, the, the battle that he has already won. So let's read. Let's start by reading. Psalm 118 says, Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. Let all Israel repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. It is better to take refuge. I just almost skipped a verse. Verse seven. Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in princes. Let's read 11 more verses. Stick with me. Verse 10. Though hostile nations surround me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die. Instead, I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter here. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving me victory. Let's pray. God, we could stop right there. (laughs) We are in awe of you, and we follow the one true God who is more than capable, is abundantly able. Lord God, you 
are our strong force, shield around us, Lord God. You walk with us. And so tonight, Lord God, let us, let us all the more just remind ourselves of who it is that is with us. Bless us this night, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, one of my favorite memories from my late high school years was when a group of friends of mine, I grew up here at Maranatha, and a group of friends of mine from here at the church, we would go into the PQ Canyon. Uh, have any of you guys hiked, biked through the PQ Canyon? Okay, so one of them lived on the edge of the PQ Canyon, and we would go there. His parents were saints. They would let us take over the house, like 20 of us guys. We would play video games and crazy stuff outside all night, and then we'd go home and sleep all Saturday. But we went to his house, and, and the highlight for me of the night was we would go out into the canyon at about 11 o'clock at night, and we would play capture the flag. Uh, now, just outside his house was a long kind of berm of sorts, uh, a, a, just a, a hill that spread the whole canyon, and that was our dividing mark. And so 10 of us would take one side and we'd plant some kind of flag off, you know, 40, 50 yards to one side. 10 of us would take the other, plant our flag 40, 50 yards off to the other side. And until about midnight, 1230 in the morning, we would play capture the flag, trying to steal each other's flag. Now, part of the game was that typically you had two people kind of protecting the flag. Now, they weren't allowed to what's it called in tag, puppy guard? I forget, that's, I think that's what my kids call it when they're playing tag. They weren't allowed to be right on the flag, but in the general vicinity, and they would guard the flag. Well, one time we were out there playing, and as the game progressed, uh, my team won. And we were thrilled, ecstatic. We all left, went inside, 12.30 in the morning, and like half an hour later, our two guards wandered up they had no idea that the battle was over. They had kept going out there thinking that they were still protecting our flag, that, that they were still in the midst, on guard, waiting for someone to come. And yet what they didn't know was that we had been victorious for 30 minutes and we were inside snacking and having a good time. So you guys can see where I'm going. That's what I wanna look at tonight. I wanna look at how all too often we act as those guards who have a, a mindset of we're still in a battle when the battle has already been won. Amen. When we are already a people who have victory in Christ, right? We're already excited, guys. Uh, and so I want us to see that, that all too often we are undone by losing sight of who is with us in the victory that he has for us. That too often we lose sight of that. We have that chronic human condition of looking at the barrier in front of us and forgetting the, the giant of a God who is with us. And so I want us to look at this psalm and just see how we can take from David's heart, from the psalmist's heart. There's some, there's some contradictions on people who they think wrote this, but this psalmist had a mindset of victory. And just even whether it was David or not, we, I love his heart for it. And, and as, we, as, as Daniel asked me to teach tonight, 
I started praying and they've done like 17 already topics through the Psalms. And I was trying to pray and think through which one hadn't been talked about. And as I was praying and thinking about that, I just realized to me, one of the giant themes of the Psalms is victory. David asking for victory, David standing on the victory that God has given him. And so I just felt that this is a great topic for us to pull from. And even as we sang, I was thinking one of the lines in this Psalm is, uh, where is it? It's, uh, the Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. The song of joy and victory are sung in the camps of the godly. And just even tonight, as we were worshiping, I was thinking how all three of our songs were great examples of just declaring the victory that God has already given us. And so that's my goal for tonight is to draw our attention to how God has already given us victory and we want, we need to remind ourselves of that often. That's why we sing so often of God's victory is because we need to continually be reminded of it. And so I wanted to start by defining victory. Well, first even, um, let's define the, the title, a mentality of victory. Mentality is to have a mindset that's consistently leading to a specific action. That whatever your mentality is, is that your mindset looks at things the same way and therefore you consistently have a mentality of the same actions, the same outcomes. So we want to have a mindset that's so consistent in Christ's victory that the outcomes of the actions are based off of a confidence in victory. And the victory that I speak of is not this, I'm a competitive person and I'm constantly trying for victory, whether it's playing my kids go fish or tennis with my growth group. Uh, I want to win, uh, and I try my hardest. But that's not the type of victory I speak of. The type of victory that we're talking about is, is a godly victory, not just victory in the, the art of life, you know, uh, great job, wealth, prosperity, career. We can pursue those things, but the victory I believe that God calls us to is a victory in love, a victory of relationship. The rewards of our victory in Christ are those things. And then the victories that he calls us into is bearing fruit, is, is loving one another. That, that, that's the obstacle, the challenge, is that we need to, uh, to conquer this, this battle, this, war, this huge difficult task of, of, of a loving sacrificial marriage, of loving our neighbors. These are difficult things, and these are the victories that God calls us into. To, to raise up children who love the Lord is a difficult task. It can be overwhelming. It can feel like a giant in front of us. These are the victories that I believe God calls us into, and that we need to have a mentality of victory in these things, to see sin and death defeated, to have the, the mentality of, of Paul and and Philippians 121, to live is Christ and to die is gain. It's, it's not looking at it through just comfort level and can I get what makes me feel better, but can I, can I pursue the type of victory to where I would say to live is Christ, to see his fruit, to see his kingdom, and that's victory. And then death with him, that's also victory as well. You know, I'm stuck between a rock and a hard place and yet both outcomes is pursuing God in his glory and his kingdom. Romans 8 says it this way. I have a smaller excerpt, but I feel the need to turn there. Romans 8, if you want to flip around. I want to turn so I can go a little further than what I put in my notes. I'm using a different Bible because I really wanted to do this in the New Living Translation. Romans chapter 8, verse 35. Can anything ever separate us from Christ's love? 
Does it mean he no longer loves us if we have trouble or calamity or are persecuted or are hungry or destitute or in danger or threatened with death? Verse 36, as the scriptures say, for your sake we are killed every day. We are being slaughtered like sheep. Not the most encouraging so far. Verse 37, no, despite all of these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. Other translations say that we are more than conquerors in Christ who loves us. And so what he's established is, that, is these things that seem like difficulties that would cause us to maybe in our, our human mindset of what victory and success looks like, those things would make us think we're not victorious or we're not successful. He says, no, nevertheless, we are more than conquerors through Christ who is in us. Uh, or, or this translation, no, despite all these things, overwhelming victory is ours through Christ who loved us. In verse 38, and I am convinced that nothing can ever separate us from God's love. That is a victory. Neither death nor life, neither angels nor demons, neither our fears for today nor our worries about tomorrow, not even the powers of hell can separate us from God's love. Amen. And so that's the victory that we want to look at pursuing just that all-powerful God's love that he has for us. And so that's where the psalm starts at. So if you flipped over, flip back to Psalm 118. And this psalm begins and ends, it has a sandwich verse, the same exact verse. It says, give thanks to the Lord for he is good. His faithful love endures forever. And when we speak of victory, when we speak of battles, when we speak of God's hand in our lives, it begins and it ends with his faithful love for us endures forever. We must begin at knowing that his love is all sufficient and everything therefore that he leads us into is within the realm of what he's taken care of is within his grasp, is within his, his strength. Everything that we walk in is something that he is able to overcome, okay? And so his love for us is something that then he has, he has blessings and good things for us. And we have to begin by believing that. And, and in that, I mean it kind of in the way, uh, the way I love my children, okay? They need to believe that my love for them is real and is affecting every single decision and instruction I give them. Because if they really truly believe that everything I ask them to do is love, then they won't just think it's rules, that the bedtime isn't just go to bed so we can have some time alone, which is a little both, but that they would know that that's every decision we make, all of the lessons, all of the instructions, all of the corrections, they are all based off of our love for them and wanting their victories in life, their victory of learning work ethic, their victory of learning honesty, their victory of being godly friends and, and eventually spouses and employees, that those are the things we're trying to lead them into. And so if they begin in knowing this, that we love them, and then every single time we have something for them, even if it seems like that's going in the opposite direction of what they want, 
that it's based off of the love that we have for him. And so with Christ, we begin with his eternal love for us that endures forever. And so everything that he has for us is to lead to the victories that he has for us in our life, the fruit that he wants to bear out in our lives. And so we must, we must begin that he lo- with the fact that he loves us. And so do you believe that he loves you in that way? Do you believe that his call to to tithing is his love that endures forever? Do you believe that his call to being a servant of all is his love that endures forever? Do, Do you believe that his call to purity is his love for you that endures forever? All of these things that he calls us to, these are his love. And so he begins with that. And then he goes on. And this, this, this psalm is a bit of a song. It's believed that it was maybe a call and response type thing, you know, like the way we did. I actually did it this weekend up here. You know, uh, what's the one that we always do? I did this weekend. Uh, God is good. All the time. Okay, that was weak. But um, the Israelites, I'm sure, did it better. Uh, so in verse two, it says, let all Israel repeat. It's very obvious. It's meant to repeat. His faithful love endures forever. Some of your translations say his abundant mercy endures forever. Let Aaron's descendants, the priests, repeat, his faithful love endures forever. Let all who fear the Lord repeat, his faithful love endures forever. The author of the psalm wants to establish this. Repeat after me his faithful love. You, all of Israel, repeat his love endures forever. And then you priests, you you know, the the leaders of the church, repeat his love endures forever. And then he, he goes on and says, and then you who fear the Lord, repeat this. And let's solidify this in our minds and our hearts. Let's, let us remember and let us remind ourselves often that his love is the what goes in front of all that he leads us and calls us into. His love is what leads the way. So he has them repeat after him, his faithful love. And let's do it, okay? Let's do it ourselves as we look into this. Okay, I'm gonna lead out with a few of the lines from the different translations putting these verses together, okay? So repeat after me. His faithful love endures forever. His great mercy endures forever. His love never quits. Awesome. Awesome. All right. Psalm 118, verse 5 says, In my distress, I prayed to the Lord, and the Lord answered me and set me free. The Lord is for me, so I will have no fear. What can mere people do to me? Yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in people. It is better to take refuge in the Lord than to trust in even princes. So he begins to set the perspective here. And I believe that our our perspective, the way in which we process and analyze and judge and compare is what shapes our mentality. And so he begins to put things into their place. He says, in my distress, I prayed to the Lord and the Lord answered. He says, the Lord is for me. Let's establish that as a truth that we've just established his love. The Lord is for me. He's on my side. He's got my back. He's walking with me. He's in this alongside me. The Lord is for me so I will not fear. What can mere people do if the Lord is for me? 
Spurgeon's uh, commentary, he took the, the, the time to list all the 30 things that man could do to us. Because if, if we're being honest, it, it would be daunting. He says, what could mere man do to me? It could torture me. Could, they could take my home away. You know, there's things that they can do. But what he's putting into perspective here is eternity, God's power, and in the scope of things, can he take God's loving relationship from us? No. Can, God, can, can man take away the true victories that God has for us, the fruit that he calls us to bear, the, the servants are, can he take away the things that are crowns in heaven from us? No. They can, man can do things, but the victory that God has for us is not something that man can touch. And so he says, yes, the Lord is for me. He will help me. I will look in triumph at those who hate me. And then he, he says, it's better to take refuge in the Lord than people, than to run to people, to seek their help, to seek their, their earthly wisdom, to see what they think about our relationships, our job. It's better to take refuge in the Lord, to know that he is with us. It is better to put our trust in God than armor. We see in David's story that he didn't want Saul's armor. He wanted to go out there. That, that God wanted the Israelites to know it's better to put their trust in him than a mass amount of chariots and, and infantry. It's better to put our trust in God than than numbers. It is better to put our trust in God than finances. It is better to put our trust in God than than any of the worldly things that we would think, I need to get these on my side. I need to get these in my favor. It is better to put our trust in God. Watchman Nee has this quote. Uh, It's a bit wordy, but, but track with me. He says, outside of Christ, I am only a sinner. But in Christ, I am saved. Outside of Christ, I am empty. In Christ, I am full. Outside of Christ, I am weak. In Christ, I am strong. Outside of Christ, I cannot. In Christ, I am more than able. Outside of Christ, I have been defeated. In Christ, I am already victorious. How meaningful are the words, in Christ. We want to take refuge in our Savior. We want to look to him for our victories. We want to put all of our confidence, all of our hope, all of our faith in what he is capable of doing. It goes on to say, Psalm uh, 118.10, Though hostile nations surround me, I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. I love his use of the word authority in this section. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best to kill me, but the Lord rescued me. The Lord is my strength. Let's stop there, actually. So we see this battle, the hostile nations all around us. And I believe one of our biggest foes in this, and what we're talking about really here is a battle of the mind so often when it comes to victory. Because if the truth is that God is for us and who can be against us, often where our our trouble comes from is, is that in our minds we get caught up with what's surrounding us. And so here, this author of Psalm 118 starts to look at what surrounded him. And yet he, he contrasts it, he comes back at it with what our response ought, ought to be. Though hostile nations surrounded me, I destroyed them in the authority of the Lord. Yes, they surrounded and attacked me. 
but I destroyed them with the authority of the Lord. And then this, this one, just so poetic. They swarmed around me like bees. They blazed against me like a crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. And so our propensity all too often is to look at what's in front of us, to be overcome. The enemy wants to convince you that you are in a losing battle. The enemy wants you to eat up the lies. He wants to tell us that the odds are against us, to tell us that we should give up, to tell us that we don't deserve victory. He wants us to, to look at the foe, and in the classic story of David and Goliath, like all of the Israelites who are waiting there before David and had decided already they weren't gonna go out to the battle, that that giant is bigger than me. I think of Moses when God told him that he was gonna send him to Egypt. And Moses comes back to God with all of these excuses. And he says, but I'm stammering, I stutter, you know? Who am I? I'm a shepherd. And he, and he keeps looking at himself. And when God calls us to these things, the, the mistake is when we look at ourselves. We don't need to look at ourselves, we need to look at who we are with. The lie of the enemy is that we are not good enough. That's not fully a lie. We're not good enough. But he who is with us is. That we are more than conquerors through Christ who strengthens us. And so we have a God who is with us who wants to empower and embolden us. To not look at our, our perspectives in front of us and to start to do some kind of mental math where we think what we're capable of handling. I'll, get, I'll be honest, this is, for me, this is a difficult one that I'm, I, I think I can handle a lot. And so I'm always trying to take things on and like, I can handle this. And God wants to just let it go, know that I'm gonna be the one who's gonna handle it. That it's not me thinking what, I can, I can agree to this, I can handle that, I'm gonna try this challenge. God wants us to lay it down at his feet. He's the one who will handle it. Not I've got enough armor to take this on. Not I've got the chariots that I need. I've got the, the, the backup that I need and friends, that, but that we have God on our side. 2 Corinthians 10.3, speaking of how it affects our mind, that the enemy tries to derail us, give us thoughts of, of our inability. It says in 2 Corinthians 10.3, for though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in God for pulling down strongholds, casting down arguments and every high thing that exalts itself against the kingdom of God, bringing every thought into captivity to the obedience of Christ. And so often it is our thoughts that stop us. Our thoughts analyzing, looking at, trying to anticipate, and the enemy speaking into our weaknesses, telling us that we're not good enough, we're not able. And yet our God who is for us and is with us will walk with us in this. There's this, uh, there's this genius, but kind of an evil, wicked genius who worked in, he basically created modern marketing his name is Edward Bernays. He was born in the 1890s and lived for like 104 years. He invented the term propaganda for what he was doing uh, in marketing. And then when the Nazis started to use the word propaganda, he did what any good marketer would do. He rebranded and called it PR, public relations. Both of those terms started with Edward Bernays. He created everything we know about marketing. He was able to analyze how people think and process and feel, and then he marketed towards that. His uncle was Freud. 
And he basically took, Freud took academia with that kind of genius, and this guy took on the economy, marketing, sales. He, he created using celebrities as spokesmen. He created using the idea of what we call nowadays FOMO, fear of missing out. He was on top of that in the 30s and 40s. He, here's the just epitome of his evil genius. He saw the, the women's suffrage movement rising up in the 40s and 50s, and he got hired by a cigarette company to sell their cigarettes. And he saw that the only people who, the main people who didn't smoke was women. So he thought if he could get women to use cigarettes as a representation of them standing up for their rights, they would boost their sales. And so he hired models to go march in the women's suffrage movements and smoke cigarettes. And it worked. They all started smoking cigarettes as a sign of their rights. And he's just, he was, and I, I, I read his stories and I looked at him and I just think of, this is such a human example of how God works. I mean, sorry, how the enemy works. The enemy, <laughs> the enemy tries to just nail down into our insecurities, into our, our, the things that we have failed at, the things that our parents challenged us in, the things that we didn't receive, the things that we have not ever thought we were good enough at. And he, he has that mentality to just put his finger on it and, and to call us out in that. And yet we, again, have a God who is stronger and more powerful. And so we want to take captive every thought to say, you, you can't analyze, take in, look at how I'm feeling, how I'm processing. I, I follow God. He, 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 though you swarmed around me like bees and blazed against me like crackling fire, but I destroyed them all with the authority of the Lord. My enemies did their best, but the Lord rescued me. And so our proclivity is to overestimate what is in front of us and underestimate who is with us. This last section that we're going to read, again, Psalm 118, 14 through 21. The Lord is my strength and my song. He has given me victory. Songs of joy and victory are sung in the camp of the godly. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. The strong right arm of the Lord is raised in triumph. The strong right arm of the Lord has done glorious things. I will not die, instead I will live to tell what the Lord has done. The Lord has punished me severely, but he did not let me die. Open for me the gates where the righteous enter, and I will go in and thank the Lord. These gates lead to the presence of the Lord, and the godly enter there. I thank you for answering my prayer and giving thanks. That we walk in victory. Uh, that, that his right arm, the Lord, has done glorious things. That he is a, a God of might and power, and he is on our side. And so one of the greatest things that we can do is to consistently remind ourselves of our reality. Our reality as believers in the one true king, that he is with us, that he is capable, that he is able, that we need to constantly be putting into perspective who he is and how he moves and what he wants to do in our lives. We need to be very aware of his great strength and desires for us. So I wanna end with four exhortations. Exhortation number one, and I'll have to explain this one, is don't 
re-engage a defeated foe. Don't re-engage a defeated foe. What I mean by that is I think all too often as believers, our God has given us victories and yet we tend to regress and then act as though those, those enemies are, are enemies that we've never defeated, that we are now all of a sudden again intimidated by, that we again feel as though they, they're insurmountable, even though he has in the past already defeated them. I had this um, person I was praying with one time a while back, and God gave me this image as I was praying for them because I'd prayed with this person quite a few times for something that I'd, we'd seen progress in, and yet they would call in again and want to pray about it again. And God just gave me this image of uh, walking to school. Any of you guys walked to school growing up? Does anyone still do that? Okay. Uh, walking to school and just rounding a block. And, and coming across on your walk, was there's just kind of this image. It was either of a, of a ferocious dog or, or some kind of bully. And that day after day, walking this walk and being terrified, crossing the street, maybe going the opposite way around the block. But then a day coming where there is a victory where you cross with confidence, where deal with the enemy, deal with it and move past it. And then what the image was, was that the next time we go, we don't need to think, should I go the other way around the block? Am I gonna need to cross the street? Am I gonna need to sprint when I go by? But now that the enemy has been defeated, we can walk by with a different mentality. We can walk by with a different mindset. We can have an approach to where we know that this is a foe that has been defeated. We don't need to re-engage them as if it, what's the outcome gonna be this time, right? The outcome's been determined. The outcome's been established. And so I wanna exhort us to not re-engage the enemy. Where God has given you victory, walk with confidence that that victory is secure, that victory is established, that you have been given the authority to move past that foe. The second one, and this is just reiterating something from earlier, is your perspective will change everything. Make sure that as you calculate and look at your oppositions, that you don't give them too much credit, that you don't think of them as bigger than he who is with you, that you put them in their place and you recognize their inability to harm you. Number three, properly esteem God properly esteem God, continually, consistently put him on his throne. Recognize how big, how good, how glorious he is. I've read this book. It's one of my favorites. I've probably referenced it when teaching before, but it's Your God is Too Small by J.B. Phillips. And he just talks about all these ways in which we shrink God down. And when we shrink him down, we shrink him down to a size that, that, that the enemy could handle. We think of him as really old and ancient, and therefore he wouldn't understand our modern ways. And so when the enemy attacks through technology, the internet or things like that, we're like, ah, but the Bible doesn't really speak to that. You know, it's, it's, and we shrink him down. We think of him as, as not able to handle all that is within in our lives. And we don't want to shrink him down. We need to properly esteem him, glorify him, lift him up. And then the last one, Last exhortation for tonight. Turn the page. Is to remind yourself often. Remind yourself often of what he has done, of how he has moved. 
Remind yourself often of the promises that he has given you. Remind yourself often of the gifts that he has established in your lives. Remind yourself. We as humans are a fickle and prone to wander group. And we need to be reminded continually. I believe that's why God established communion, that we need to be reminded of the fact that it is grace and grace alone and a free gift. I believe that's why we, we, he's established so many different parts of our walks with God because we are prone to forget. And so we need to be reminded. That's why we sing of it often. The psalmist, I believe that's why he repeated it repeated it and wrote these things. He, I mean, we could read the psalm and think, well, this psalmist knew of God's victory. Or we could read the psalm and think this psalmist is con- consistently reminding himself of God's victory because he needs to be consistently reminded. You know, that song is, I, here I raise this Ebenezer. Uh, and Ebenezer was a, a pile of stones to remind us of things God has done. The Israelites did it after they crossed the Jordan. They would make a pile of stones. And then anytime they saw that pile of stones, they would remember their past victories, the past miracles, the things that God has done. And for us, we need these Ebenezer stones. We need to be reminded of the fact that God has moved so that we can claim those things when the giants are in front of us, when there's battle in front of us. We can be like David when he stood in front of Goliath and said, I I took down a bear, I took down a lion, and surely God will give you into my hands as well. And so we need to remind ourselves that there are victories God has given us. It may not feel like it, We may be able to see lots of difficulties. I just finished the book Unbroken, Louis Zamperini, and what just blew me away was when he went through uh, years, uh, 42 days of being stranded on a raft, years as a POW in torture, came back to America, struggled with alcoholism, couldn't get a job, was just struggling, and then got saved at a Billy Graham crusade. And, and when he got saved, he says he walked down to the altar he was able to recognize God's hand in his life and testify in his mind of the ways in which God had preserved him on that raft, had preserved him as a POW. Now, obviously, there was a long list of tumult and struggle, and yet he was able to recognize God's hands. And so in all of our difficulty, we can see and claim the promises that God has given us, the past victories that God has given us, and we need to remind ourselves of, the, of those. There are big foes that are in front of us, but we have seen God conquer big foes in our own lives, in the lives of those around us. And so, let's have a mentality of victory, a, a, a mentality, a mindset that leads to actions of boldness, courage, confidence in the God who is with us and walking beside us. Thank you for listening to this podcast from Maranatha Chapel. If you haven't already, please subscribe for weekly messages. Feel free to share this podcast and join us for our midweek revive service held Wednesday evenings. Visit our website at www.maranathachapel.org for more information.